0: great to be here and uh great to welcome you and also those who are online and it's wonderful just to be able to gather together as god's people uh knowing that he is with us uh, by his word and spirit and so uh, we're going to be opening up god's word this morning uh, if you've shut your bibles uh, reopen them back up to 1 corinthians chapter 8. Uh, really thankful for both uh, eleanor and roger's uh, reminder of where we've been and where we're going and so Uh, It's always interesting, isn't it, when you open up a book and start right in the middle. We don't do that very often. We did 1 Corinthians, uh, the first seven chapters last year. uh, And so hopefully it's just been a a way of being able to get you back into it, uh, having heard the kids' talk and uh, Roger's introduction this morning. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we together look at his word. Let's do that. Gracious God, thanks for this morning that you've given us to gather together. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be with one another, to open your word together, to listen, to think, and to uh, wrestle with it with one another. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us hearts and minds open to your word this morning, to hear what you have to say, and to uh, consider our response, Father, in all that we do as we live for you day by day. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a uh, few years back there was a bit of a Christian fad where um, a bunch of Christian people would wear either a bracelet or a necklace or something like that with the letters WWJD I'm sure uh, some of you remember it they stood for the question what would Jesus do uh, the idea behind it was simply to encourage people to act in ways that would be Christ-like uh, that would honor Jesus in the way that they lived the problem, of course, is that uh, there are some obvious limitations, aren't there, uh, to do exactly what Jesus would do. And that is, given that sometimes he, what he chose to do or what he did was heal sick people or stop huge storms, uh, raise people from the dead. Uh, and so, you know, there are some things that we can't do that Jesus did. But for all of its limitations, something of its sentiment was good. When dealing with moral or ethical decisions, what would be a Christ-like response? Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Christians are sometimes faced with difficult decisions that require us to think carefully about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how does that shape our thinking and our decision making? And we also shouldn't be surprised when Christians disagree. That's also to be expected from time to time and that can often be because of the differing degrees of knowledge and understanding of god's word that genuine christian people have if christians are going to live uh, in ways and make decisions that are good and pleasing to god then we'd better grow in our knowledge of his word we would better grow in our knowledge and understanding of the bible Well, here we are back in 1 Corinthians, uh, picking up where we left off in chapter 7. And you might remember that of all the churches that Paul started, Corinthians uh, was his problem child. Uh, That is, the Corinthians, as we've already heard, uh, they they valued their knowledge of God uh, and the freedom that it enabled them to experience. But as we saw in the earlier chapters... Uh, their pride had become a serious stumbling block in the exercise of their knowledge and freedom. And they'd become critical of Paul, who was their apostle, who was Christ's appointed messenger to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Paul didn't seem as powerful as he ought to have been. Uh, He didn't speak as well as some of the other professional speakers that came into Corinth. He seemed too constrained in the exercise of his freedoms that he had in Christ. But to dismiss Paul was to dismiss Christ, and that was a serious problem. And then at some point, they've kind of written this letter to Paul, and they have put some questions to him. And here we are in chapter 8, and Paul is answering another one of their questions. Uh, We see it there in verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols. And here's another issue where Paul and the Corinthians are at odds. Uh, We may not uh, worry too much here these days about food offered to idols... But idol worship was just kind of everyday reality uh, in ancient Corinth. Uh, Pagan temple idol feasts were the kind of restaurants of their day. Uh, The people would gather, the beast would be slaughtered, uh, part of it would be burned in sacrifice uh, to a particular god that was being worshipped. And the rest then might be just served up for lunch or for some kind of business dinner. And it seems that most meat that was available, even that sold in the marketplace... Uh, had come from some kind of idol worship. And so idolatry was just the everyday stuff of life. And so what does, what does a Christian do about that? Given that, remember, a key marker of a Christian, as Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, a key, a key part of a marker of a Christian is someone who has turned from idols to the living God. Well, the Corinthians claim to have knowledge on this issue... Uh, In fact, their belief in their own knowledge uh, runs right throughout chapters 8 to 10, which is a particular section that hangs together. And Paul doesn't deny that they do indeed have knowledge. But he's about to question how valid it is or the way they're expressing it. What do the knowledgeable then actually know? Well, let's just pick it up if we can from verse 4. So verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. Now, you might be well aware that the Bible consistently teaches that there is only one God in the universe. Uh, The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament was emphatic about it. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me there is no god and it's not just that there's only one god but that there is no other the negative is even more powerful than the positive all other gods are false the others don't exist and as as paul says here whatever gods there are they're only so-called now the Bible is very clear about what we call monotheism, the, the belief in one God. Do other gods exist? Emphatically, no. And Paul agrees with the Corinthians. Those so-called gods in the temple are a nothing. You don't have to pay attention to them. And yet there are little g gods, uh, the gods that exist in the hearts and minds of many people. They're not gods, but they are there. For most of us in, in Christian churches, idols are nothing, but that's not the case in some places, is it? I mean, our city has more idols now than perhaps it's ever had. Uh, the back of the little Thai restaurant just down the road here that I frequent from time to time, there's a little shrine at the back of their shop. As I do my early morning walk, I pass numerous, numerous kind of Buddha statues or other kind of statues of little gods in people's windows or on the, in their front yards. As the nations of the world have made Australia their home, so they have also brought their so-called gods. But Australia has always been idolatrous. Because materialism, remember, is the secular form of idolatry, and we excel in that. And whatever people worship in their hearts, that's their god. That's their idol. Is it any more foolish to worship a block of wood fashioned into a god than to worship a piece of of leather and material stitched together into a Nike shoe. You know, there are lots of gods because there are lots of things that people worship. But many of the Corinthians have come to know and understand that there is no God but one. However, notice that this one God in verse verse 6 includes both Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that there? Both Father and Son are the one God. And so the key here is what they have come to know about God and gods. And they know, that the truth, they know the truth that there is only one God. And that is totally liberating. They don't have to worry about all the different kind of so-called conflicting powers in life. It's given them a great sense of freedom, especially in regards to food. But knowing this one God, uh, for whom and through whom they exist, it hasn't bred humility in them. It's actually bred pride in them. And Paul calls it out in verses, uh, the second part of verse 1 through to verse 3. Have a look at the second part of verse 1 there. Paul says, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, what they know might be true. But there's something even more important than knowing, and it's called loving. The one who fails to love doesn't really know as well as he should, nor does he realise that knowing something about God is not as important as being known by God. Very sadly, there are people in churches today uh, who know things about God, but who are not known by him. They talk about him, they sing about him perhaps, but they have not submitted to him. And Paul is saying to them that uh, knowing about God is not as important as being known by God. And the way these knowledgeable ones are behaving perhaps calls their own salvation into question. Well, there are two groups you might have noticed in this particular section that we're reading. Uh, There are those who claim to have knowledge Uh, often uh, called the strong christian not that paul uses that word here but often called the strong christian then there's the weak christian or the weak in conscience christian Uh, the so-called strong know that there's only one god that idols are nothing and it's brought them a great sense of freedom regarding food as well as other things now just because meat has been uh, through an idol's temple it actually doesn't mean that the meat you know doesn't belong to god anymore that there's something wrong with it at that point in time Because Jesus is Lord of all, it doesn't matter how that piece of meat has uh, been killed, they're actually free to eat it. And Paul isn't going to disagree with them on that point. Uh, He's right behind on that point. However, uh, what do those whom Paul calls weak think about this matter? Well, look at verse 7. Paul uh, reminds those who are strong in verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Some Christians who are known by God, genuine Christians, used to be idol worshippers. And they don't know that the idols that they used to worship actually don't exist. Yes, there are confused Christians in this world. They've turned their backs on these gods but they still seem to think that they exist in some way, and they still think they might be powerful. And so just because you've turned away from idols doesn't mean you've come to understand that they're not real. You you can still feel conflicted by it. See, people who come to Christianity from cultures where idol worship or other superstitions are common can find it very hard to break free from them. Some of these Christians, because they're consciences were weak believed that this food sacrificed to idols was defiled and so it was likely that they were making rules about not having anything to do with idol food but you see food doesn't bring us near to god see what paul says in verse 8 food will not commend us to god we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do but because they thought that food that the the sacrificed food was defiled then they believed that it was actually sinful for them to eat it and so because they believed it was sinful for them it was sinful to eat would be to go against their consciences and therefore sin against god now the problem is that they have weak consciences because they lack knowledge they haven't grasped the gospel fully yet They haven't understood that other gods don't exist. They haven't understood that what you eat makes no difference to your relationship with God. Now, can I say that the the weaker Christian doesn't necessarily see themselves as weak all the time. Sometimes they consider themselves stronger and more godly. Because they tend to make rules that they think make them look godly, but that the Bible itself doesn't actually insist upon and they can look down on others who don't keep their rules. And so at some point, careful and loving correction is needed. However, the weaker brother that Paul is talking about here are those who have a genuine desire to honour the one true God, but their conscience is weak because of a lack of knowledge, because of what they've been involved in the past and what they don't yet understand fully. And Paul doesn't want these more knowledgeable Christians... ...to damage the conscience of their weaker brothers and sisters... ...through a misuse of their rights. Uh, Let's just pick it up there at verse 9. See what he says to them. He says to these ones who see themselves as knowledgeable and strong... ...he says, "...but take care that this right of yours... ...does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... ...will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols... And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying that they should never exercise the freedoms that they have in Christ. Uh, However, if they think that they can exercise their freedom as a right without consideration for anyone else, they are wrong. They don't know as they should know because their knowledge has actually puffed them up with pride they look down on others they forget that their relationship with god is built on love and so christian maturity is not measured by the knowledge you have but by the loving service that you give see we need to be aware of the effects that our actions have on others and Paul, Paul, Paul's concern here is that one, Christian, one Christian's example might actually encourage a weaker Christian to do something that he thinks is sinful. The exercise of his freedom and rights might lead the weaker one to sin against his own conscience. In this instance, by eating food sacrificed to idols that they still believe are true. And so because if I think something's wrong... And if i go ahead and do it anyway then i'm actually not trying to do what's right am i i'm rebelling against god at that point point. and if i encourage my weaker brother or sister to sin against christ then notice what paul says i myself am not only sinning against my brother i'm also sinning against christ because i'm destroying the brother for whom christ died see that's how serious this matter is The food itself might be neutral, but their conduct isn't neutral. It's sinful. It's harmful to a fellow Christian, that is, those who are strong. Paul is saying, do not use your rights to cause another to stumble. In this instance, to find someone saved out of paganism, out of idolatry, to maybe feel that they can keep doing it they think of themselves as being, these strong ones think of themselves as being free and spiritual, but actually they're sinning against Christ in doing it. So knowledge is good and necessary, isn't it? You should be doing everything you can to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel and its implications. But be careful, Paul says, that it does not puff you up with pride because in the end pride is destructive and it's destructive to our brothers and sisters ...who are weaker in their faith. There is, however, he says, another way. And that is to ensure that our behaviour is dictated by love. Now remember, love, Paul says, is what will build up. Uh, And verse 13, I think, is a perfect example of it. Look at verse 13. It's It's the little crunch of what Paul is talking about here. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat... ...lest I make my brother stumble see here is actually the key issue here's how our knowledge that jesus christ is lord works out in love for the sake of others the onus notice is on the strong to restrict their freedom for the sake of others paul will never eat meat again if it's going to cause a brother to fall even though he's free to do it and paul paul knows that eating meat is good and right and even very tasty but out of love for his fellow Christian, he will stop eating meat. Paul is a man ruled by love. He willingly restricts his freedom for the sake of others. He's not driven by pride. He's not driven by self-centeredness. He's not driven by his rights and his personal freedoms. He's driven by love and by other person-centeredness. For the Corinthians, knowledge means the right to act in freedom but for paul love means the free giving up of one's rights for the sake of others what would jesus do that's just what jesus did listen to the description of jesus in philippians chapter 2 verse 5 because again paul speaks here to the philippian church he says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus had all knowledge. He had every right, and he had complete freedom and yet he gave it all up and instead he humbled himself even to the point of his humiliation in death on the cross and why did he do that he did it for us he did it for our sake he did it for our benefit he did it for our salvation if you don't yet know that salvation then you don't yet know the greatest gift that you can ever receive but if you'd like to know, so this is something that you're interested in, how can I get to know this God who loves me that much and has given up everything for my salvation, then please let us know that you want to find out more so that we can help you find out what you need to find out. Uh, Roger uh, told us how to get onto the Connect card and put your details on there. There's boxes on you there that you can tick to let us know you want to find out more about Jesus. Tick them, put it in so that we can know and help you. But if, if you're one of those people who already have this knowledge, then it must be lived out, is what Paul is saying. If you're a Christian, have you realised that you were not made to care only for yourself? In fact, you weren't made to care even primarily for yourself. If we truly love our fellow Christians, we will be building them up. The way we love others will demonstrate not just that we know God, but it'll demonstrate that we are known by God. And can I say, we should be constantly aiming to uh, educate ourselves and educate our consciences. That's a good thing to do. And we do that by reading our Bibles, by praying. We do it by meeting to study the Bible with other Christians in genuine discipling relationships. We do it by being participants in a church that teaches God's Word faithfully. It's critical that our consciences are educated by the Word of God. Knowledge is really important but love paul says is the critical issue and it's not often going to be expressed, can i say in the really big things of life because most of us just live through ordinary daily life what we eat what we drink what we wear the way we speak the words we use the way we use our instagram account how honest and trustworthy are we our love will be seen in little acts The great ones in God's kingdom are not those who are great rhetoricians or whatever. They're the ones who serve, putting ourselves out for others, vacuuming the floors, hanging out the washing, doing the dishes, talking to people when you're feeling tired and not up to it, turning up when you're busy and stressed because you know God's people need you to be there. Love that is like Jesus and is the true marker of of Christian maturity will always be expressed for the sake of others and especially for the sake of their salvation knowledge puffs up but love builds up let's pray our gracious god we thank you this morning that jesus didn't consider equality with you something to be grasped that he was willing to give up everything for our salvation because of his great love for us and Father help us to recognize just how much we are loved how much we have been loved and help us to recognize Lord God that to live as people who have been loved by you just as expresses itself as we love one another as we're concerned for the things that you're concerned about as we're concerned for the salvation of our brothers and sisters to grow in our knowledge and love of you as we're concerned for those who don't yet know you by not doing anything that would cause them to turn away from you because of our behaviour. Father, help us to keep working hard to know what it means to live in such a way with the very uh, very different and uh, often unseen ways in which we can be unaware of the fact that we're not loving the way that we should. Please help us as we think these things through in Jesus' name. Amen.